Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the podcast that design build remodelers and custom builders tune in to grow their businesses. For the last 12 years, we've been helping our clients build marketing machines and we've helped them generate well over $150 million in sales of remodeling and custom home projects to date. This podcast is where we want to share lessons learned, wins, failures, things that we found have really helped us in hopes that they also work for you. We also bring on special guests and bring them in to offer a different perspective or areas of expertise outside of our domain. Today, I bring in Tim Brown, who is the CEO of Hook Agency. They're an SEO and web design firm that's gone from one person to 17 in five years. And uh, Tim and I talk about web design, we talk a little bit about SEO, and we also talk about pay-per-click in today's conversation. So Really hope you enjoy this one. And now for the conversation with Tim Brown. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, sir. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in today. But maybe before we dive too deep in the weeds, maybe just give like a brief introduction, who you are and what you guys are up to these days. Absolutely. Tim Brown, owner, founder, CEO of Hook Agency in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have a ton of roofing contractors. And I think We've worked with different kinds of contractors, more more open-ended in the past. And so I've learned a lot about construction marketing, contractor marketing, and kind of found our home in the exterior remodeling space. And we do Google stuff and websites. And I also am learning a lot about leadership. So these are the things I think about the most. I think about content strategy and website design and leadership a lot. And those are the things that I think I can talk to a little bit on this podcast, potentially. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always curious, like, how did you end up in this industry, like this corner of the world, so to speak? Yeah. I didn't have a real target when I first went out on my own. I I wanted, I was just working with small business on WordPress, maybe because I was a WordPress designer developer was my original thing. And my last agency did not have any specialty whatsoever. So I kind of thought that it might make sense to get into a niche. And I started with like three, like I had a business coach and he said, do it. And I said, well, what if I kind of like start putting out landing pages for three? And so I tried to do medical, financial and construction. Little did I know that if you zero down into construction, there's like 15,000 types of construction and contractors out there. And yeah, over time and financial though, are, are big industries too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure, I'm sure that <laughs> there's 15,000 niches within those two. And so I did that though, but the, the construction one started to pay off a little bit. I had a remodeler, a asphalt company and a roofer out of my three, three out of my five first clients. So I just started to do more content around that stuff. And then over time, the last couple of years, I think we we ended up kind of partnering with a influencer in the roofing space. And that kind of quickly 
ballooned out our our clients and roofing and so we just so that was kind of the progression and now i do like content roofing memes and i did a ceo swap with a roofing company and roofed a house in 90 degree weather and chatted a roofing salesperson so we just kind of keep on going deep i like i've always liked it even when it was just like any kind of company like when i first started one of the first websites I made was for like a kettlebell gym. And I like had to go to the gym and get the, get my swole on at the kettlebell gym. I always want to experience a little bit of what I'm selling. And I do think for marketers in general that might be listening to this, maybe you have marketing managers and stuff like that, like learning how to sell too. Like there's a crossover between experiencing, believing in, selling and then marketing is just sales at scale a lot of times so like persuasion you know the beauty of like learning sales for a marketing person i think is something like i'm trying to help my team learn sales not to sell for hook agency we only have one salesperson and me so i don't need them to sell but i feel like they should learn these things because there's so much good marketing information in sales books and I think that marketing books are sometimes a little soft. They're, mm-hmm. they're a little like not, you know what I mean? Like to be a marketer, you know, there's, there's a little barrier to entry and there's a lot of people that say a lot of things about marketing. It's like, how do I know this is true? But sales is where the rubber meets the road. So I don't know. I'm just like kind of encouraging people to learn more about sales if they're a marketer. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of crossover skills and and concepts and threads. And if you can understand like the way shopping works today is like you're in the marketing bucket but then you talk to a salesperson but then you're bouncing back to like do research and like people are hopping all over the funnel so it i would agree with you that it it would benefit salespeople to know marketing and how people are entering that conversation but also the other way around like you said can i give one book on that real quick yeah go for it so there's one concept in particular that i think really applies to marketing from sales the book is called the challenger sale And that book is essentially like when you challenge a prospect, let's say you're talking to somebody one-on-one, you challenge them, you say, I know you've been thinking about it this way, but I want want you to think about it different. I'm going to give you this new idea about what it is you're purchasing. Let's say if you're selling, you know, a deck, you may think about it as, I don't know enough about decks. I'm not going to go into that. So, (laughs) you know, but the idea is like, we actually believe that for the flow of your home, it would actually be better on this side than that side. So if you really change their mind about where the deck should be or something, you challenge them because of the logistics to move it to this other side, then you are going to be the one. If the other guy comes in and just says, yeah, we'll put it where you said you wanted it. You know, you will be the one that owns that new idea. And because you challenge them, it like pushes your subject matter expert positioning up a lot in their mind and you're the one that they'd want to do it. They're not going to have this other person who didn't even bring them this important idea to go with. And I think that you can do that in marketing a little bit. You can challenge people. So you should be challenging people in your marketing like a little bit. Like like one example is just we're not for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like and we're selective about the people we help or whatever it happens to be. I think those things like from sales and the the book, the challenger sale really apply to marketing. 
Yeah, that's a good recommendation. So I want to jump back. You said you guys do websites and then Google yeah. stuff. So let's let's start with websites. This is an area that I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions around why we have them, what they should be able to do, what their purpose is, you know, how they mm. should look. So yes, you get a roofer that's talking to you and they they either think they need a new website or they don't know that they need one. But mm -hmm. where do you start that conversation? Like, what are you looking for to evaluate? Like, is this website up to par? Yeah. Oh, man, I love talking about this because we have 20 pieces of clear criteria that we look at. But the kind of like to, to generalize into some of the when I'm looking at it real quick, I'm looking for first of all, I'm looking like, does it look professional? That's the first thing. Does this look professional or is this going to slow me down if I'm a prospect? Like, that's the thing. A, a bad website, you know, you have to get it to 80% and then it's, you know, it's probably not going to screw anything up. Like if it's 80% good, mm -hmm. then making it 90% good isn't going to increase your sales that much. But if it's like, if it's slowing you down, if it's at 50% and it's like literally, it could stop your sales. If it looks bad, if it looks sloppy, sloppiness. I think is a big one, but it comes down to, I think some of the key things I think should be like having clear call to actions. And I call them trust factors, things to help people trust you more like testimonials. I, I like to say testimonials with, with like five stars where it was left, like the Google logo and a photo of the person leaving it. That's, that's one thing I think is a really good trust, you know, trust factor. And then very clear call to actions. Those are the things I'm looking for. Now, more contractors in general have these things on their website mm -hmm. than ever before. It's kind of like when you and I were probably back in the game and like everyone needed to switch over to responsive yep. websites. Like that was that was a gold rush for guys Big like shift. you and I. We had this, yeah. We you had to switch that, right? And now I would say this is one of those things where a lot of people are starting to get to that point where they have, you know, badges and testimonials and call to actions. This is like another shift. And then the more advanced thing is like, is this website about me, the customer, or is it about the company and is self-obsessed? Leading with the problem that your customers have and making persuasive languages or language about them, the customer, that's kind of the next level shift, but that's probably a little bit more on that top 20%. The other things that are really like you do have to look at and really could be slowing down the amount of leads, in my opinion, is do you have enough content on each of your service pages? And I like location landing pages for services as well. Like those types of things are like that could be money to include those things. And those are things that like gets into the SEO a little bit more, but ultimately may make sense to spend money on a website to increase the types of templates you have and stuff like that. You know, like you want your interior pages to be good too and have trust factors and call to actions. It shouldn't just be the homepage. So I'm always kind of poking around and looking at the interior pages. Do they have these things as well? And basically, I'm trying to do some quick math on will a website make the money because I think our websites are so good. I usually think it will. And, you know, we break it down by month and stuff like that. So we make it easy to purchase. But I find that it's trust factors, call to actions, interior pages with good amounts of content that aren't just walls of text. 
those are some of like the key things that I'm looking for and just not sloppiness because that can like it sounds dumb, but it's like what is it, like 75% of people make I think that's a real stat, by the way. I think it's in our sales deck. Make a admit to making judgments on a company's credibility based on the visual design of the website. Hmm. So yeah, it's like people are judgy and they don't they don't even mean to be, but they're like Yeah, they can't help it, right? Yeah. 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 People judge you. That's interesting. So out of all the sites that you look at, what percentage of them are maybe close to that 80%? It's like you actually just need Hmm. some tweaks versus people that are like, you kind of need to rehaul this. I'll be real. I think because of we actually sometimes open that up. We have a like hookagency.com slash audit. God, I don't want to like try to do too many call to actions because it's your podcast, but the ones that do put it in there usually are a little bad, but I also did this for everyone that went to these events. I went, I did like seven events around the country for roof roofing companies with some other people. And so we did every single one. So even out of those, I'd say it's like people are at that 60, 70% mark a lot. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, it's kind of rare to have somebody hitting the marks. But I mean, we probably set up the tests a little bit that way, right? So, you know, like 60 to set, like half the people have decent websites. You know what I mean? That's probably the truth is like half the people have decent websites, but they always get a few things bad. Usually the SEO is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What makes and SEO bad when you're looking at a site? They're not ranking for much. And they're not ranking for many money keywords. Like that's the main thing. It's like usually it's not the website that's really holding you back as much as you're not ranking for money keywords. Now, generally when people come in to work with us, I want to redo the website because later on the SEO is good and then it gets held back a little bit if the website's not like fast Mm -hmm. and like solid. So like I like to redo it, but the SEO is the real point. You know, the, the SEO is like in the, the marketing, however you're getting people, it doesn't have to be SEO, right? How are you getting people to this website? How are you getting leads? And you're not going to redesign your way out of no leads. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like most of the time, and I think this might've been what you're getting at, which is you're not going to redo a website that all of a sudden you're just going to get twice as many leads. I mean, you might get 20% more or something like that from like the people that were held back by the badness of the website and depending on how bad the website was. But yeah, the point is usually you want this thing to be attracting more traffic from Google. And so, yeah, the I said there's not enough people on the website, which means there's not enough content. You know, we need more content and we need more, let's say, landing pages for services or, or cities. Like, so those are the types of things that you can expand outwards, extrovert out into the world with your website. You want this website to have surface area. It's more buckets of content and more things going on so that the funnel gets cranked open. That's ultimately what I think about. And there's other ways to get people there besides content. So I'm not saying that like everybody has to make SEO a primary lead gen form for their business. But I like it. I mm-hmm. love SEO as a prime because what if you built this out for two years and then it you, you stop it? Because let's say there's a recession and you want to 
trim back on marketing costs. The best part about SEO is you've got a built resource, earned media, so to speak, of people flowing into your website still. It doesn't go away when you're done. That's the best part. Everyone always tries to do the math, the quick math on SEO. And let's say we had a big company, a roofing business that doubled their leads in a year and a half from very aggressive SEO, mind you, like really aggressive, right? Doubled their leads from, I think it was 47 or something like that to 98. Boom to boom, average year or month. And that's a big deal for a roofing company because you need a lot of leads to like keep the flow going. That's a, that's a large amount. If they were done now, it's hard to do the math on that. It's still good math, like based on what they spent on us, they would have been, it would have been like $130 a lead or something like that on the month that we gauged it. But they were kind of, they're probably spending way more than $130 a lead for those months leading up to it. It's not instant. So you're spending like $500 a lead and then like, comes down to 130, but then look at that as time goes on, they were done with us. They, they stopped working with us because they they pooled a bunch of companies together. So they're doing a roll up in the roofing industry. So they have like, basically what I'm saying is not our fault, but they went away. That happens in this, you know, it's okay. And then they go on to like continue to get that result. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that mm-hmm. lead cost now goes down to like, these are almost free, if they're not doing any SEO. I mean, maybe they got a different company, but zero for like, boom, that's like brand or referral leads now, like, but you doubled it and now it stays. It's a beautiful thing. Content and SEO is a beautiful thing. I think that, you know, I like Google ads too, but those are the types of things I really get into. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. The way I always think about it is SEO over the short term is going to be a much higher cost per lead, but over the long time horizon, two, three, four years, it's going to be super, super low. Cause you might, you kind of talked about like, if you just stop after a year, like you'll see a slow decline after that, if you're not like pushing or if your competition moves up, but generally you'll hold that position. Unless you redesign your website, don't do the the re- the redirects. Yeah, don't exactly. do that. Don't do that, please. But yeah, you'll hold that position for however long until competition overtakes you and you kind of fall off. But if 
you could maintain that position a lot easier than you can gaining position. But, but imagine yeah, the whole- if they doubled again, like if they went from 98 to like whatever, 200, exactly. and you're still paying us. And your cost per league gets chopped in half. You know? Yeah, it's like ridiculous. So that's what that's what's hard to explain if people aren't super into SEO. Like it's hard to talk through that because it's a lot of contractors do like to really get it down to the simplest possible terms, which is like cost per lead. Mm-hmm. And like cost per lead, not all leads are created equal. It's really, really important. Like if we compare this to lead aggregate websites with female names, I'm not going to name anyone. Yeah, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, Angie. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, but, and I'm not ripping on it, but you have to like look at what is that really? It's It's a fifth of a lead because it's getting divvied out to five people. That is important to note for all kinds of things in your business, including closing rate. So if you're sending those leads to somebody on your team and expecting them to close at the same level as a Google lead, for instance, that is very confusing to the business. Then you're basically optimizing for a glamour metric, Mm -hmm. which is total quantity of leads. And I do that too within my business because I have two hats with one of my hats is... I'm a leader, I'm the CEO, but I'm also the our CMO. I'm our marketing director kind of, you know, so I do that sometimes. I stuffed last quarter with Facebook leads and no offense to Facebook leads, but they're a little slower closing rate, you know, on average to Google stuff and to referrals, obviously. So I just was trying to hit my number. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got to watch like the over-optimization for a particular number. Entrepreneurs, we love that. We love we love getting really into one number that's going to fix everything, that final lever that we're just going to pull and money's going to drop out. And leads happens to be one. Yeah, it's and a very easy they, number to measure, right? Just so it's like yeah. total number, just keep jacking it up and up and up. Yeah, because yeah. quality is a lot more challenging to measure than just quantity. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like, I, I want to make my next one MQL or SQL, sales qualified yeah. leads. But then... The salespeople measure those differently and it's hard. It's hard to get that down. It's Yeah, it's challenging. Well, I want to jump over to pay-per-click for a few minutes. What are some mistakes that you see people making? And let's talk Google primarily. So yeah, I'm really into Google. So we don't, we actually don't even run like Bing ads or, but yeah, Google, some of the obvious ones, like real quick, like if you're in your Google ad account and you're, let's say you're looking at it now or something like that is really over dependence on Google's like suggested optimizations. Mm. And like, you should go into your settings now and unclick. There's a, if you're new to this, there's like a a little thing that says like auto apply Google suggestions. You should take that thing off and smart ad campaigns. And even the new, we've messed around with the, there's a new one. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's Google. I just wasted a bunch of money on it. I should know what it is. There's a new, and there always will be. So perennial content, there will always be a new, Google will take care of it all for you. Father Google. But then you talk to the customer service of Google and it's somebody in a different country that has no context on your business or language half the time. That's important in Google ads, right? Language is a big part of Google ads. So I'm not being culturally insensitive here. I believe that language is a big part of of what we need to do to optimize for keywords in in Google ads. So this is a 
a big mistake is that people auto apply these suggestions and they act like Google has their complete best interests in mind. And they believe what they they hear when Google says you will get 13.2% more leads if you auto apply the suggestion, which the, the suggestion half the time is just spend more money. So you're spending, you're pushing a button that says spend more money and give Google more control. So that's the biggest one is like, watch that stuff. You can look at what they're suggesting and kind of consider whether that makes sense for you, but have critical thinking as you're looking at their suggestions. Another big opportunity, so that's a mistake. Let's go into opportunities. I think a big opportunity is getting better structure in your ad account. So if you have clear buckets in campaigns for a type of service that you offer and another type of, it doesn't seem that important. It didn't seem that important to me when I did my first ad campaign. Like, But as time goes on, Google is actually helping optimize these buckets for the, the sub topics, the ad groups in that each campaign. So the more you bucket in campaigns and then in ad groups, you're actually doing a good job of kind of delineating the services and even using the negative keywords for this bucket over here. So you're not accidentally wasting money on a less specific ad. Then it allows Google to optimize and clean your, and, and the other one is make sure you're tracking your conversions. Because mm -hmm. as you're trying, if you do per lead, you know, you're actually letting Google help you optimize your ads per. So good tracking on conversions really helps these ad campaigns do better. So I think structure, and I didn't know this until recently, like I'm not actually a Google ad guy. I just like study what's working in our, we have three people on our team that are all about that, but I do on a regular basis, study what they're doing and learn so that I can share in moments like this, but they have a very, for our industry, for roofing in particular, we have a very good cost per lead compared to a lot of roofing marketing companies out there. And this is the biggest thing. And I really try to understand why, why? Cause like if somebody else is getting 250 bucks a lead and we're getting 130, like what is the difference? And we've had the pleasure to study our competitors, Google ad campaigns. And another one is like copying and pasting stuff like this stuff can be custom and it's not that crazy hard to customize it to your business and make it specific. And so like, I just think I see a lot of lazy marketing companies copying and pasting and you basically look at your stuff, make sure it fits what you're doing. And I think all it is, is like, what are you really doing? That's different. Like I know Spencer is asking his clients, what are you really doing? That's different in your market and how is it different? specifically get as specific as possible with this stuff and then using that in the marketing. Yeah. Like that is the basics in my opinion of marketing, but you'd be surprised how many marketing agencies are not utilizing what's different about this company in the ad campaigns. That's really good. And it's interesting with all the Google ad stuff today, because it, it, it has become this blend of like, guiding some of the AI and the automation, like mm -hmm. Google's really smart and we want to leverage that. But then there's certain instances where it, it doesn't have the, the context all the way. And yeah. so you have to like using, you know, like the human plus the AI is kind of the, the you, ultimate combo there. Exactly. You want to train the AI, don't let the AI train you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying we're, 
where we're at in this in the game. This is 2022. It's probably going to be true for the next couple of years. So this is where we're at. You need to train the AI, not let the AI train you because the AI is programmed to help you spend more money. That's yep. what that's what Google has trained the AI to do on their side. So you need to train it to what do you really want leads for? Like making sure you're spending more money on that, not just because because what it is, is the AI knows what and I, I you know, I've been in these things and I I touch our ad account more often, person, you know, hooks ad account like it knows where the easy leads are, but it doesn't know where the money leads are. You know what I mean? You know, it's lucrative for your business and profitable. So if you don't want handyman leads then don't you don't have to change your whole business model just because Google is nudging you towards that. Now, that is a good, I mean, I we have helped somebody get more handyman services because we know that there, there's a lot of opportunity there for them to lever in and become and and get more remodels or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But but the point is, is like you need to look at what's most profitable in your business and work on Google ads that way, not not let Google train you just to like go after the cheapest leads. It's like, it's basically, it, then it becomes Angie leads. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I guess I'm just ripping on Angie today. Sorry. That's all right. I mean, we, yeah, we're pretty open with, I mean, those services, you want to know them for what they are and yeah. sometimes they can work for you. Sometimes they don't, but you at least want to know what you're getting into versus controlling your not, own. As long, as long as they're not a sponsor of your show. All right. Yeah. They're, well, they're not. No. Well, Tim, we always wrap up with a handful of questions and I'll get to those. But if people want to learn more about you guys, what you're up to, what's a good place to go check you out or find you online? Yeah, hookagency.com. And most of my memes are for roofers. We're hook agency all over social, but my personal Facebook, I put a meme out, at least a meme a day. But they a lot of them might apply to other contractors. So it's facebook.com slash invigorated. Facebook.com slash invigorated and uh, for memes, follow me on there. Sweet. All right. We'll go get your, uh, your daily comedy there. All right. So Tim, we'll, we'll head into our fast five to wrap us up here. Favorite business book and why? 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. I didn't know how to sell. And so him encouraging me to learn to sell was, was a big deal for my life and business. Sweet. All right. Who's the most inspirational person in your life? My wife, she has grown an insane amount. She works alongside me in this business and she's the operations person. And she's literally like become insanely good at that, even though I don't know if that was like original, originally her intent and makes, you know, the reason this business works. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? I'm just going to go with, oh no, flies too easy. I'm going to go with, just money machines up my arms. <laughs> nice. Start firing them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Ambitious, creative, loving. Right on. All right. Final question. If you can leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Really pay attention to who you're listening to and letting affect your life and career and spend more time focusing on which voices you're, you're listening to the most. Good advice. Good advice. Well, sweet. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I hope I'm one of those positive voices. I know you are, dude. So I appreciate you and I'll, I'll uh, keep on checking your stuff out. And you guys are awesome, man. I'm pumped to be on the show.
Cool. No, glad to have you. Thanks, Tim. Yes, sir. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim. We jumped all over the place because there is so much to talk about with digital marketing, but I wanted to pull out some takeaways, things that I pulled out from the episode and the conversation. So the first one was around web design. And really, if you follow us and listen to us, you you know that we think of that as kind of the the home base, the foundation for all of your marketing efforts, whether somebody is a referral lead, they're going to go to Google and look you up, or if it's a pay-per-click ad or a social media post or they do a Google search, like however they find you and learn about you, or if they already know about you, they're going to get to your website. And so the first kind of takeaway is trying to identify, hey, is my website positioning me correctly? And Tim kind of talked about like, does it look professional? Is it not sloppy? And I actually really liked the simplicity of his language around that, because there are a whole bunch of checkboxes that you can go down and make sure it's technically sound and you know, Tim talked about they've got a list of 20 things that that they look at and we have have a grader you can run run your site through on our our website and it's going to give you a lot of technical things. But at the end of the day, when you're just looking at the design, you want to make sure like, hey, it's professional. It doesn't look sloppy. And the reason I keep it so simplistic is and and I like how Tim did that is because they're really you can have a site that looks amazing but amazing to who? Amazing to you, amazing to your team, amazing to your prospects, amazing to your clients. Like everyone's going to have a different take on your website. Maybe you just redid your website and it looks amazing. In your opinion, you could send it to 20 different people and you'll get 20 different responses. Some people might hate it. Some people might love it. Some people might think that's eh, fine. So you really want it to check those simplistic boxes of, is it professional? Does it represent my brand in a positive way? Does it look put together? So I like how he he talked about it in that light. So I would take a good look at your website, make sure it looks professional, and then layer in those couple of other points that he talked about. Does it have trust builders? Does it have calls to action? Does it tell people what their options are, what they can do if they want to take the next step? So that was the first kind of like big bucket of action items around the website. And then the next piece was really on the pay-per-click side and trying to identify, do I have good campaigns set up? Are they in separate buckets? And am I tracking a lead conversion by campaign? That was a pretty specific takeaway, but I think it was a really strong one because at the end of the day, you want to be able to look at the different campaigns and see what the conversion rates are on all of those. And not just to lead, but then ultimately to customer, because you'll be able to look at that end customer and say, yeah, these were really good customers. What campaign did those come from? And what you might find is that you want to double or triple down on a campaign in terms of ad spend. You may want to cut a different one, but you won't know that until you actually track it all the way down to the sale and look at those sales. Were those profitable jobs? Were those the right types of jobs that that you want to be focusing on? And so we kind of talked about that yin and yang of quantity of leads and quality of leads. And that's really how you can start to move towards the quality side of things is if you're tracking it down to the customer level. So I thought that was really good actionable advice that Tim was talking about in terms of how you set up those campaigns. And with that being said, I'm going to leave it as as those two takeaways because they're fairly big buckets of things, but there are a few a few quick checkpoints that you can dive in and see how you're doing. And with that being said, we will wrap today and I will see you next time here on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text RADIO to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.